0: to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. At that
1: time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Hi, my name's Amelia, and from that reading at the very beginning of Mark's story, we now have a reading from the very end. Mark chapter 16, Um, Verses 1 to 8. It's on page 1010 of the Bible's Mark, chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. Thanks be to God.
2: Well, good evening. My voice is a little rusty. (coughs) Bear with me. Uh, You are invited to my house after. We're going to have lamb. I think my wife thinks I've cooked too much lamb. So if you could help us out, that'd be great. Our freezer is pretty full. Now, we're thinking about Easter. And the best way to get uh, some context into the wonder of Easter is to examine for a moment what our culture speaks about death. Death. Uh, now I walk the back streets of Newtown pretty much every day and one of the shops I go behind every time I walk uh, is the funeral parlour on King Street. You probably haven't noticed it, it's pretty bare, it's uh, hard to make sense of. Uh, and behind the wedding parlour, uh, sorry the funeral parlour, different things. <laughs> you know you, you never ever see a body. You very rarely see a coffin, but every single day you will see men in slick suits, shining cars. And then these men in their suits with their shined cars park these enormous cars into garages, which is a feat in and of itself. You know, I've been taking a lot of funerals recently, more funerals than weddings for the first time ever. Ever. And I think that's had an effect on me. I'm used to people uh, shining over death. I'm used to the slick suits and the shining cars. This got driven home to me at the end of last year when uh, uh, a father of a dear friend died. And he was a man of the country. He died fixing a pipe on his farm. His heart burst, literally. And I went to his funeral, and there were no shining cars at his funeral. There weren't even men in slick suits. There was no one in a suit. There was just one unvarnished wooden box surrounded in Australian fauna. There were no euphemisms. That no, oh, he's passed away, and he lives on in our hearts. There was no hope. There was just my old soccer coach who is now the resident of a box. You see, if you really want to get some wonder at Easter, you do have to come to grips with the fact that we all end up as a body in a box. When you strip back our culture's veneer and you start to confront that, all of a sudden, the fact that this man, Jesus, one day was proclaimed to not be here because he was risen. That one man did not stay in his box becomes a wondrous thing. Really simple this evening. Three things about that. I've got three reasons on Easter evening. A reason to believe. A reason it's significant. And a reason uh, why even if you don't believe and you don't think it's significant, why you really should long for it to be true anyway. Three reasons. First one is this, a reason to believe in the resurrection that Jesus is alive this Easter evening. And the reason we get from this passage, which is the most bizarre passage of all the resurrection accounts for my money. It is totally bizarre. It is too short. In fact, so short that the early Christians added their own director's cut edition, right? You know, The pre-polling was the ending's bad. Could you add to it? And they all did. It's such a bizarre little story. These women on the way to the tomb and it seems to be filled with all the wrong details. But the reason to believe, I think, this evening in Easter, in the resurrection of Jesus, is exactly this wonderful witness of the women. This wonderful witness of the women. We read that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Now, the first thing wrong with this story is there are too many women in it. If you're an ancient culture and you're trying to make up a story for people to believe, the thing you make sure you don't include is women. Because in the court of law, what they say is an admissible evidence. It's not useful. And, and you know, in Mark's gospel, the only reason these women are here is to be a witness. They appear in verse 40 of chapter 15 to see Jesus die. Then in verse 47 of chapter 15, they see the tomb where he's laid. And then they come at the end and witness to the resurrection. If you're going to make up this story, you've chosen precisely the wrong characters. Nice one. But then that's the first crazy thing. The next crazy thing is, why are they going to anoint the body at all? The body was anointed, we learn from John's gospel, before it got put in the tomb. And these women on the way to the tomb don't even know how they'll get in there. Verse 3, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? These women in the befuddlement of grief are headed to the tomb for who knows what reason to do what exactly. And then while they're there, they see this young man, which is weird, and they hear something amazing, and then they run away, afraid. Great story. It's unconvincing. It makes little sense, and yet it is Mark's evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I was reflecting on this and this scene, uh, and the women at the thing uh, at the tomb, and. You know, it's exactly that it is so mundane and so ordinary, and that it collides with something so supernatural that is the reason why this story is so compelling. So, R.T. France talks about the combination of the everyday and the incomprehensible that makes these resurrection accounts really sound compelling. These were normal, befuddled, grief-ridden women on their way to a tomb, encountering something they didn't understand, responding with ordinary human fear. It's exactly the kind of story that would have actually happened. It is weird, but these women give a wonderful witness. Here they describe their strange collision, their unexpected moment where they realize that Jesus was not in the place where he was two days ago. And there is no reason to make up such a strange story as this with such uh, unhelpful characters as the witnesses unless embarrassingly it is just all true. The reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus that he lives on, as it says here, is the wonderful witness of the women. But the second thing to say here is, well, great, but who cares? We need a reason why it matters. We need a reason why this is significant for us to read an account of, significant for us to take seriously the witness of these women. And, and, and for this, you've got to narrow in on what the, the young man says in all the other accounts. Uh, it's an angel. Mark doesn't even tell us that. Thanks, mate. Just a young man. Great. Thank you. <clears throat> and the words of the young man are this. Don't be alarmed, he said. Thank you. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here See the place where they laid him. It's the announcement of the astounding truth that Jesus just did not stay dead. He was raised to life again. But I think the really significant thing is actually the next thing the young man says. He says, go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. Just as he told you. You see, the significance of the resurrection in Mark is that Jesus said it would happen. Three times and a fourth, really, if you're counting, he describes how he will die and be raised to life again. It's the only other real thing we have about resurrection in Mark. And so the reason it matters, what's significant here, is that it means that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is. He said he would die, and he said he would rise, and it happened And so he is who he says he is. Now, who does Jesus claim to be in the Gospel of Mark? Well, we saw right at the beginning that that scene of his baptism where a voice comes from heaven, and then he goes out and starts preaching that with him, the kingdom of God has come near. He claims to be a king. He claims to be God's king. And in the resurrection... That is exactly what he has proved to be God's King, God's Messiah, Christ the Lord, God's Son. Jesus is who he says he is. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, well, I don't really understand this whole resurrection thing, this whole being raised to life again thing. That's not really something in my cultural imagination. It sounds more fairy tale than fact but you're in good company. Because for the disciples who got told four times that it would happen, even for them, there wasn't room in their imagination for it either. Jewish people believed in a resurrection, a raising to life of all people at the end of time for the sake of judgment. But they did not expect one person to be raised to life in history that is something that was beyond their imagination that's why these people when they they heard this promise couldn't really compute what that what Jesus was saying because uh, in particular crucified cursed people do not rise to life in history unless god really 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 wants you to know that they are very significant. And so, Jesus in his resurrection is being proclaimed by God to be the King of humanity. Jesus is who he says he is. I find that people these days, when they talk about Jesus in our culture or in the media, Treat him kind of like an empty container within which you can kind of pour whatever ideology you want. We're into tolerance. Well, Jesus was really tolerant. We're into not being judgmental. Well, there's some of that in Jesus. Let me just pour it straight in there. Jesus, well, We really want to be on about the poor, so let's pour that into the Jesus container. And if Jesus is just another historical character who died in the pages of history, then make of him what you will, whatever you want. But if God has raised him in history, then he is God's king. His identity is set. And one day you will deal with him on those terms, not yours. The resurrection proclaims Jesus to be exactly who he claims to be. And there is good news in that. Did you notice how Peter is singled out in verse 7? Chief treasonous individual. Peter who betrayed his Messiah before the cock crowed. Jesus wants to meet Peter in Galilee. Because the business of God being king means what? Forgiveness of sin. Welcome into his kingdom if you want. It. But as the words in Mark 1 say, Jesus said, you have to repent and believe. Leave behind your life and make me your king. I am who I say I am. So that's why it's significant. Jesus is who he says he is. But you might be at this point in the sermon thinking, this is a crazy sermon about a fairy tale and a pretend king, and I'm not really coming along for the ride. But, friend, I think that if that's you in church this evening, that even if you don't think it's true and you don't want it to be true, that you would be crazy if you didn't long for it to be true. Mark's a clever storyteller. He ends on a moment of dissonance that drives us back to the beginning of the story. We kind of get straight to the end of this scene and these uh, these women are told to go and tell everyone this is the incredible thing that's happened and instead they run away, tell no one and act really scared. And you're left thinking, that was the wrong decision. Hang on. If Jesus is who he says he is, go back to Mark 1. He's the king of God's kingdom. That means the good news of God is true. You know, Jesus, as he starts his ministry, says the kingdom of God has drawn near. And then he goes in and enacts it by raising little girls from the dead and mothers from their deathbed and cleansing lepers and casting out demons and forgiving sin. He says the kingdom of God is near. But did you notice in verse 2 of chapter 16, how much Mark labors the time? Very early, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. Through the mess of Mark, he doesn't really care about time. He's like a teenager. And then, and then, and then. <laughs> But right now, at this moment, he labors the time because Jesus said the kingdom is near. But on the day when Jesus is raised, the kingdom of God has dawned. It is the first day of the kingship of the king who can raise the dead and heal the sick and forgive sin. I wonder if you've read this book. It's Marilyn Robinson's book, a book she wrote way before she was famous. Uh, it's called Housekeeping. And, and in this book, it tells the story of a little town, Fingerbone. And it opens by telling the tragedy that kind of defines the town uh, of this rail bridge. One night, this old locomotive black train is tracking over the bridge as normal. And halfway over, something goes wrong. It lists off the track and dives into the water around midnight. No witnesses. In the morning, they can't find the train and no bodies float up. Every passenger entombed beneath the water. The little girl, Ruthie, who narrates the story sits on the water's edge one day and thinks about her grandfather, the train driver, who's entombed on the bottom of this lake. And as she thinks about the train and thinks about her grandfather, all of a sudden a piece of imagination grows in her mind. She says, well, maybe we're all just waiting for a resurrection. Perhaps one day, the train will leap up out of the water, caboose foremost, and like in a movie run backward, continue across the bridge and get to the station. And the passengers would alight and kiss their loved ones and go home for dinner. In her mind's eye, she sees her dead mother raised, handing her candy from her little purse. It's a stunning picture of a hope of reunion beyond death, of a physical coming back together hundreds of years after death has happened. That is a picture of Christian hope. That because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we too can come back out of the water. That because of the resurrection of Jesus, the time will come when the train leaps out of the water. And we won't wait for some ethereal, future somewhere else in a cloud but a time here in his kingdom with no more death or mourning or pain or illness with sin forgiven tell me friend is it not would it not be crazy to long for to not long for such a thing to be true Jesus is the proclaimed kings of God's kingdom today. And the call of his, the beginning of his ministry rings out. Repent and believe the good news. The women saw it. Jesus is who he says he is. Of a wonderful future. If you trust him and turn away from your old life and receive forgiveness. One day you will deal with him. Make it today, not then. Let me pray. Oh Father, we stand in awe of Jesus, the resurrected King we stand in awe of the one you raised and whom, through whom's power we entrust ourselves that we might be raised too into his kingdom. We repent of our old lives and instead want to live with him as our resurrected king hub.